This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Regulation is needed, and I think it's a good thing. Now, you gave an interesting example of Google Maps. I've seen companies as a prop tech investor, really cool use cases where you're trying to navigate through a very complicated building. Like imagine a very large luxury uh, apartment complex. So I've seen really cool cases where they've mapped the indoor environment. So your on-demand delivery driver, for example, can easily get to your door rather than getting lost in a maze of elevators and stairs and you know different yeah. floors and floor plans. So that's an example of how AR can be aiding us. And I really appreciate the example you gave of technology needs to enable empower and not hog attention and take us away from our world. It needs to facilitate it. We've got to a point now where technology can be quite intrusive. Not only is it creating addictive behavior where you go to a restaurant and you see couples and families and children all glued to their phone. But these apps are designed and engineered to get you hooked. Notifications after notifications. It's, it's you know, creating a response in your brain that's very similar to hardcore drug addicts. I mean, it's firing off dopamine, it's getting us addicted. Yeah. Uh, so I, I appreciate the whole idea that what happens when you have a virtual ad overlaid on a building. Talk, talk to us a bit about that. I, and I know you, you cited some really cool examples about Buckingham Palace. And for, you know, I'm sure we have, a lot of our users are global. Buckingham <coughs> Palace is, is a very royal place. Uh, and it's yeah. an honor to have another fellow Brit describe uh, the really cool virtual advertising that's taking place over there. Could you give us a few examples globally too of what, what you've wow. seen? I mean, so, so in Buckingham Palace is interesting. Um, I'm going to stay on the right side of the law here because there, um, Snapchat has um, a, a service called uh, Landmarkers. So in the same way that you'll have seen lots of kind of Snapchat filters for your face, whereby they kind of make it easy to put a crown on and all kind of you open your mouth and rainbows kind of spew out and all that, and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of fun, but, you know, slightly nebulous. Um, what's really interesting, you know, as I said, is... We, we feel the bigger opportunity um, in, in every sense is around augmenting places and spaces rather than, than faces. And so they've launched landmarkers and, and they've made it, they kind of create, basically created three dimensional models of certain iconic landmarks around the world. And then they've made it simple for you to be able to, or simpler if you have certain skills, to use that thing called Lens Studio, which is a creator tool, to be able to then kind of map your digital content onto those three dimensional spaces, such that if you're then in that location, it will come up in your kind of lens bar and you can hit that lens, hold it up to the Flatiron Building or the Eiffel Tower or Buckingham Palace, and the digital content will look like it's kind of in, you know, in, in the same space. So, for example, um, some time ago they did a when the Lion King film came out, they did a Lion King advertisement where you held up your phone to Buckingham Palace, and a lion kind of came out on, onto the roof and kind of roared like there's a massive lion on the roof. Now, really cool, a good illustration of how you can kind of start to augment places and locations. Um, however, my, my understanding is they didn't actually have the permission of the royal family to do that. My, that's my understanding. I couldn't tell you for sure. But, but what's interesting is that um, 
is that clearly there's an implied endorsement. There's, some, there's a connection there. It's a king. It's a lion king, and it's on Buckingham Palace. Um, and so what, actually, if you go to the Lens Studio now and you go to the landmark section of, of Snapchat's website, it, there's actually a big thing that says, warning, landmarker templates are not permitted for, I'm paraphrasing, but something like, landmarker templates are not permitted for commercial use. If you wish to use them for advertising purposes, you need basically the permission of the property owner. So, so Dominic, just to sort of explain the use case here, you're a multifamily developer, an industrial developer, or whatever, right? You've hired architects, you've built a wonderful structure. If you had billboards, physical billboards, you would have an advertising agency, an outdoor one, working with you and making sure that you get paid for those ads. What you're saying here is if you own this building or you're the developer, people could take their phone and see ads because there's a virtual overlay and no one even consulted you for that. And this is sort of what can Correct. happen in the world right now. Correct. And so Database exists to basically be the, the digital rights equivalent. So we, we believe that you know, if, you, if you're a property owner, you, you know, you, you have the the main asset that you have. And you may, actually, interestingly, you may already have asset value linked to the advertising real estate on your building. So, you know, you'll, you'll probably know the very large screen in Piccadilly Circus in London, which is called Piccadilly Lights, so that, which is owned by Landsec. And Landsec owned the building behind it. No one's ever heard of the building behind it. It's called number one Sherwood Street. No one has any clue. They just know Piccadilly Lights, which is the massive screen. And it costs a lot of money to advertise on Piccadilly Lights. And actually, if you look at the asset register for Landsec, this kind of multi, you know, global, property company, I think it's the eighth or ninth biggest asset on their asset register, and it's worth 400 million pounds. So over half a billion uh, dollars of asset value for the ad screen, okay? Um, because the rate card value is if you want to be on there for a week, it's 200,000 pounds a week to be on the screen. So, so there's clearly, you know, increment, there's clearly lots of property companies all over the world already thinking I can put there's an audience outside my building. It's a valuable audience. I have the opportunity to be able to help somebody to reach that audience and make, and you know, incremental ancillary revenue, and also potentially some asset value associated with that. And they're probably also thinking, well, there's also mineral rights. There's the beginnings of air rights, and basically, database exists to say, well, you also have digital rights. You know, what what is the value that can be attributed to your building in terms of how it could be leveraged digitally? And there's two sides to that coin. The coin, we, the side we mostly think about right now, because it's the bigger opportunity for property companies and it's clearer in terms of the legal and regulatory standpoint, is how can I enable, how can I leverage my rights? Um, how can I actually codify those and um, and put a value against them on my balance sheet? But also how can I then let, you know, you, through Darabase, enable somebody to be able to use that to serve content on it such that I can make revenue from augmented reality advertising rather than billboard advertising. The second thing, so, so that's kind of the digital rights in the physical metaverse. The other thing actually, especially for iconic properties is, is well actually how could I make money from allowing someone to use or personally using my, my location in the virtual metaverse? So if you go to, you know, there's Decentraland, Sandbox, uh, Roblox, you know, etc. Some of some of the these virtual worlds are purely virtual. You know, it, it, it doesn't mimic in any way, shape, or form the, the real world. Um, and some of them are more kind of related to the physical world. Actually, people are selling virtual land. Right, so it's not just about putting ads on your building. People are selling vir your property um, as vir as virtual land already, as as uh, as uh, on these virtual worlds. And actually, somebody else owns your building in a virtual wrapper of the physical world and is selling it to other people in order that um, they can leverage because they feel that they own the digital skin of your building. And we're saying, no, no, that's nonsense. If you own the physical asset, you should own, also own the digital rights and be able to control how these work. But, but even in a purely virtual metaverse, let's say, for example, you own Buckingham Palace, then we, our belief is that you know Buckingham Palace or the Royal Palaces 
or the Flatiron building or whoever it may be, should actually have control in terms of how that building manifests inside of a virtual world. So, Absolutely. So in the same way, if you you know, if I go and buy a FIFA, if, if I go and buy a computer game for for you know the NBA computer game. You know, Madison in Madison Square Garden is inside. You know, is digitally represented inside of that game. Well, guess what? They paid a license. They, you know, they even though it's a purely digital manifestation of that physical property, there's a deal that's been done to be able to include that. And we believe that as the meta, the virtual metaversing kind of matures, um, there's a, also a large opportunity for property owners to be able to think about how they leverage their rights in that space too. But that's Dominic, I'm curious how how has it worked in the past with games like Grand Theft Auto? where you can play in a replica of a city and there are buildings around it, it, are the laws there defined because i'm sure that would set the um that analogy holds for the metaverse too and i'm sure someone had to deal with the regulations and licensing issues there or has that been uh, you know an area where there's been no regulation no there's there is definitely regulation um and it's linked to a few different laws um, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm you know just because I'm on record, I'm going to say I'm not a lawyer. This is not not legal or financial advice. Um, but there's, for example, there's a thing called the Panorama Act, um, which has been a very old act, which basically says if if a building or location is part of a panorama, then you don't have to pay the individual building owner. Whereas if it's actually an individual building, you kind of do. So that kind of applies, I believe, to, to video games. So, for example, if you're just kind of driving through London um, and you've just kind of created a, or, or wherever, you know, Palo Alto or whatever it may be, and you've created, you know, you're going down California Avenue and it's just kind of some buildings and it kind of is a rough representation, you don't have to have done a deal, obviously, with every single property owner on California Avenue. However, if there's a, if something happens in a particular building and that building has... So, like, let's doesn't... just say, like, the new Apple building or, you know, the Tesla um, manufacturing headquarters that are currently in okay. California before they move to Texas or whatever. Yeah. Well, if you, if, especially if you kind of call it Pesla or you kind of said, you know, oh, it's the, you know, it's the Raspberry phone factory or whatever, you're making an implied endorsement. Absolutely, you can't do that. And there's been ex even examples, I've seen, seen cases before. It was actually, I think, a strip club. There's a strip club in Grand Theft Auto, uh, which actually I exists. Yeah. <laughs> which is actually, and it's called something like, let's say it was called Spearmint Rhinos, for sake of argument, right? In reality, something like they'd put it in Grand Theft Auto and they'd called it kind of Peppermint Hippos or whatever. And, and they got sued and they had to kind of nod it, yeah. So so I think if it's recognizable as an individual location and it's kind of, especially if it's central to the game, similar, if, you, if you're driving a Ferrari, you need to have the response, you know, the, my understanding is you need to have the, a license from Ferrari. It's just kind of a Ferrari that's kind of in the background and not necessarily. So it's kind of tends, to, depends on how contextual is the experience and how much of your, how much of an implied endorsement, um, which is kind of the passing off law, which is pretty ubiquitous. On, on uh, this thread, you can imagine if you're a big game producer and you're making hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, it's very easy, Ferrari's lawyers, Apple's lawyers, whoever, know exactly who to write the legal threat to, and they know there's money to take out. The problem with these metaverses is they're pretty decentralized, and it's hard to track down the source of, you know, the, the token or the wallet, because that's how the blockchain is designed in some way to provide a anonymity, which creates a whole confusion around how do you litigate, how do you enforce property laws and digital rights in yeah. a virtual world? It's, it's a great point. I mean. I we're, we're not trying to we're not trying to kind of create the police force you know Darabase is we believe that if you look at all media pretty much you know there's always been a kind of you know at the beginning of certain media there's always been I mean look at YouTube <clears throat> you know 
you, at the beginning of YouTube, they didn't worry about rights. It was completely your responsibility as the creator to ensure that you had the rights. And then it kind of got so big that they then had to go, well, actually, you know what, we're going to kind of try and make sure that no NFL rights kind of get put up there before it gets put up there. And But even then, they'll say, look, it's the responsibility of the creator, first and foremost, to ensure that they've got the rights for what it is that they're publishing. Um, similarly, with advertising on, you know, outdoor, actually, it was only illegal to fly, to fly post, i.e. to put illegal you know, posters up on private property in the mid 80s in the UK. That was when the law came through. Um, but before then, hardly anybody did it anyway, apart from like small nightclubs. And there was this multi-billion pound, well, you know, billion pound business in the UK. Um, and if you were Ford or you were McDonald's or you were Starbucks or you were Apple, you know, you're not fly posting on people. You know, you're, you're gonna take these premium permission-based, you know, regulated, legislated sites. And so we we believe as Darbase that we you know we're, what we're doing is we're creating the the kind of the viable alternative. And, and we're doing that in such a way which is very open. You know, it will be API based. So if you want to run a metaverse, we're actually gonna get higher, you know, CPMs, you're gonna get a higher value per advertising because you're gonna get the right premium advertisers advertising in your metaverse. And they want to make sure where they're placing their, their brand, which has a lot of equity, is being, you know, it's being done with the permission of the property owner in these iconic locations, et cetera. Then actually using DaraBase will allow you to be able to facilitate that. So that, will there be other people not doing that? Undoubtedly. But do we believe that that as this kind of grows and matures, um, a permission-based way will be the way that is required? Absolutely. Do we think that property owners are going to do deals with like hundreds of different metaverses? No. Um, do we, you know, that there needs to be some kind of central data service, you know, which works in the, you know, your background, you know, Zane knows as well, you know, the way that programmatic advertising works is really kind of built around the, the ability to have these kind of centralized data management platforms and, you know, supply side platforms that allow access to inventory and to the right levels of data to be able to make real-time decisioning. And we believe that, that as that increasingly embraces augmented reality type advertising in the world around us, as our, as our habits shift to be, you know, flat screen to, to to lens-based, then Darabase will be an incredibly... It's also a nightmare for brands who care a lot about where their brand is perceived and how it's used. You could destroy a value of a brand if you put it in the wrong context. And I founded and successfully sold an advertising company in the mobile app space. And one issue we had is that we had a lot of games where we'd showcase ads inside of games. but the brands didn't want their ads appearing in some random game where people are chopping each other's heads off. In the same way, uh, brands are very nervous about YouTube because user-generated content implies poor quality. Do you really want a luxury high-end brand advertising in that environment? Made it very difficult, and we call that brand safety in the advertising industry. And um, the problems that, you know, it wasn't just a problem of rights and ownership of who the publisher is. The brands also want control of how they're perceived. It's interesting that uh, in the metaverse, brands are minting NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which is basically a unique digital representation. It could be Nike shoes, and Nike's done this. It'd be very successful. Or there was a fashion show recently uh, on the online metaverse where they had these unique dresses, and you, know, you can buy those unique dresses, and put it on your avatar. Uh, so that's the power of NFTs at least um, allow the brand in some way to verify ownership. You know, who has this? Right now though, most NFTs are transferable. And um, I don't want to get too technical, but there was a wonderful uh, post by 
the founder of Ethereum, and he talked about the concept of soul-bound NFTs. Soul-bound NFTs, really cool concept, where rather than allowing the NFT to be freely transferable, it's bound to that user in the same way your passport cannot be bought and sold. No way. Mm. Your ID cannot be. Your vaccination card shouldn't be either, although it, you know <laughs> there are places where you can do that. <laughs> so I think the idea was, um, like a criminal background or your education, you would have soul-bound NFTs, and, and that's a really interesting idea in terms of making sure that the NFT, the digital object, is used and tied to the account. Just a new paradigm shift, really, with what Web3 and the metaverse offers uh, when, when it comes to you know enforcing rights. I think the other thing is that NFTs allow fractional ownership. I mean, I think NFTs are getting a bit of a bad rap because everyone kind of associates what NFTs are being used for right now and, the, and some of the kind of valuations around those with, with what an you know, so they say, oh, NFTs are crazy because Board Ape Yacht Club is, I don't understand it, you know, which is this kind of, you know, digital image that basically associates you with this kind of community of kind of crypto intelligentsia. However, NFT is basically, you know, an underlying smart contract that says, as you say, you know, here's something which is non-fungible, here's something that, you know, is unique and allows me to associate. It could be associated with a bottle of rare whiskey, or it could be associated with film investment, or it could be associated with digital rights. In some scenarios, you know, if we think about property today, in some scenarios, the, the, the freeholder of the property absolutely wants to be able to say, well, I'm going to be in charge of how we put advertising on my building. But oftentimes also they'll go, well, I'm going to leave that to a third party and I'm going to you know, either do one deal where they pay me an hour of money and then they manage it or they manage it, but then they give me you know, a share of the check. Or, and so I think that you know, what, what we try and do as a company is basically look at how the world works today because it's kind of taken a, a while to kind of shake out and then apply those models to this very fast moving and, and kind of dynamic um, space in which we find ourselves rather than necessarily trying to reinvent the world. You know, that people, will, people will see content in the way that I've been describing um, that content is likely to be free because when was the last time any of us bought an app? And therefore, if it's free, let's be honest with ourselves, there's probably going to be some advertising associated with it to, in order to be able to facilitate the, the delivery of that of that service. And so if the content that I'm seeing is based on the world around me, then there's probably going to be advertising the world around me. How do we do that in a, in a way that isn't some kind of dystopian view from you know uh, a sci-fi movie? Well, let's look at outdoor media today. How does that best work? And start to apply digital principles to this opportunity.